Welcome back to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is Richie. Richie has done so much for my sobriety. I can't even, you know, we talk about it. We talk about it a lot. Um, this conversation is definitely more about recovery than war stories. It's definitely getting into, you know, why we got into the program and or why we even got sober why we're still sober, what helps us to stay sober, and I just, it was a great talk for us. I, I felt like, you know, we both needed it. Um, I'm not sure when this is going to come out, but for, you know, reference, today is Overdose Awareness Day, and that's when we recorded, and August 31st, and it just, you know, we both have lost a lot of people to overdoses and close to us. So it was really important that we talked about that today of all days. So I just, I really hope you enjoy the, you know, episode as much as we enjoyed having the conversation. Welcome to the show, Richie. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, yeah, when I, yeah, when I met you, I was like a month into being sober. Actually, I know the date I met you. It was June 12th, um, 2012, 2018. And it was because it was the anniversary of one of my best friend's deaths. And I was going through it that day, man. Like, I got a tattoo for him, and I was trying to, like, do a lot of things. I called his sister and talked to her for, like, an hour. I was trying to get out of my head. And I was in sober living, and um, they let me go to the late-night meeting that night. They gave me a pass to break curfew and go to late-night because I was so stuck in my head, dude. And you were speaking that night, and you're going to get into all this soon, but you spoke that night, and when you talked— about like your Eskimo and getting into AA and everything. And I think it was right around an anniversary for you. And like, it, it hit me, it, it like, I finally felt better. And it was after hearing you speak. So like that was the first time I dealt with grief ever in my life sober at 31 years old. I have never dealt with grief sober in my life. And that was the first time. And it was a really rough day. And ever since that day, I never missed a late night. They gave me an ongoing pass of breaking curfew to go to late night because they saw how much it helped me. So that was, you know, you know, you're, you really hit home that night, man. I, I'll never, ever, ever forget that shit. So oh, and, that's awesome. Yeah. Man. That's, yeah. Uh, first off, man, it must have been a good night for me because <laughs> I feel like, you know, it's hit and miss. But, uh, you know, you never know when. Uh, depending on the person speaking, depending on the person listening, where they are, it could be the same things being said. And for whatever reason, they just resonate just because of where those two people are at that moment. And uh, yeah. I'm glad that it did. And uh, it was, dude, you're actually spot on. It was uh, June 12th is, what is that? Nine days before my anniversary. I'm June 21st, uh, 2001. And so, um, yeah, that was right before, what would that be? My 17th birthday. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cause I, you know, you were talking, you know, I think you made a point to only talk about like Eskimo stuff and like the beginnings, like war stories and then like how you got into it. And yeah. cause I, I saw you speak a couple weeks later at, um, at 26 and broad. And that was, I saw you speak there again. And like Devin and I, you know, Devin, um, Reynolds, her and I were, she was on an episode a couple weeks ago and we were talking about like, you're a great speaker, man. <laughs> Whenever I saw that you were speaking, I was like, hell yeah, it's going to be a good meeting. Because, like, I was new in sobriety. I was pumped up. I was going to four or five meetings a day. 
you know, wherever I could find a meeting, I was hitting it, dude. It didn't matter yeah. if it was a 7 a.m. Marina at noon or noon and 26 and broad, 8 at Marina late night. I didn't care. I was walking to meetings from Culver City. I didn't give a shit. I wanted to be there. After It was you and Nikolai helped me a lot when you guys spoke. Wow. And I and I'll never yeah, I still talk to him, too. He's supposed to be doing an episode soon. I think he just had his fifth birthday yesterday. He just so hit his... crazy. I know, man. Great, um, great guy. Gentle warrior. Yeah, I used to sit with him and Marshall over in a corner during late night. That, that was like <laughs> <laughs> my little crew over there at one side. And we had our Love seats, it. and Marshall would and I would bust balls. I don't think I ever called him by his name. He never called me by my name. We always just like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> But, you know, it was I Marina it was one of the best places for me to go to. And it's kind of like inspired me to start my own meeting center. Yeah. It's a day here now. And they're oh, all different awesome. kinds of meetings. They're not AA necessarily. They're mental health check ins is what we call them. But still, it gives people a place to go and talk. And I even do late night meetings, you know, on the weekends when we don't have our kid. And, you know, no one's really come yet, but I don't care. I still have the door unlocked and I'm here. You know, there you and go. That's I am legend yeah. every day at the end of the pier, 12 o'clock, you know, <laughs> that's it, so your sober date is June 19th. You said June, June 21st. 21st. Yep. 2001. 62101. Damn, man. So you're coming up on t- you just hit 20 years. Yeah. Holy shit, man. Congrats. Thank you. Appreciate I, that. That's, you know, so. All right. Let's start to before 20 years ago. What were you into? Ooh, uh, I was into a lot of selfishness, um, uh, a lot of misery, a lot of not knowing how I fit and not believing that I could, uh, sort of manage through this world. I just didn't believe that uh, I had what it took. You know, I think people told me I did. And I think what I truly believed deep down was that it was all a sham and that people really didn't know that as much as they thought I might have a gift or uh, certain abilities, that they were wrong. And I just, due to my background, um, you know, that that pit in my stomach, uh, that I was actually not destined for anything great. And as much as I, I, I hoped, maybe, I really uh, counted myself out. And so what was I into? You know, I was into pretty much anything to get me out of feeling. And nothing really worked, if I'm honest. Um, you know, there's moments that like that reprieve, that exhale. I yeah. remember, you know, um, taking a drink, uh, taking something else, you know, and and just that that first exhale. Of, and then that exhale just got shorter and shorter. I mean, it's a short period of time as is, but at a certain point, it, it wasn't even that, you know, and I just. Um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't escape the mind just racing racing how old were you when you got into the program uh initially 18 didn't catch it this time uh 62101 i was uh 21 years old so wait you have a funny story about your first time in a meeting don't you I, i'm pretty sure yeah. your first meeting can you tell me about your first meeting again because it was been a while since i heard you talk yeah yeah i uh <laughs> You know, it's funny, I'd run into an old friend of mine, my best friend growing up, Damien, and Damien and I were thick as thieves. Uh, his mom was a single mom, and so was my mom, and the two of us were kind of left. They went to UCLA, our mothers, and so we were left to our own devices most of the time, and um, I hadn't seen Damien in a while, and saw him at a coffee shop, and 
and we, uh, you know, just, just like old times, you know, a couple years had passed, but it was, uh, you know, just best friends. That's just how it goes. And so, um, we start kicking it tough, going out to Hollywood, you know, trying to get into clubs and stuff, just a couple of kids and, you know, we're 18 and, and mostly get denied every so often we could weasel our way in or end up at a party in the Hills or whatever. Um, and I remember he told me, cause I, you know, when I saw him, I said, Hey, you want to go throw a couple back? And he goes, nah, man, I don't drink. And I said, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I felt so bad. Cause I knew we were the same age and I knew he must have a health condition, you know, like he's, <laughs> yeah, um, like, what's wrong on, with you? Yeah. He's on death's doorstep. <laughs> you know, his innards are broken or something. Cause if he takes a drink, he's going to die. Cause in my mind, there was no other reason not to drink. So it's yeah. just so confusing. I'd never come across someone like that. And um, I'd heard of them, you know, like the way that I see them, like people talk about sobriety and that, like, I just talk, you know, back then when I'm drinking, like, that's just a narc, you know, like those are narcs, <laughs> they're no good and, and not to be trusted. Um, and so, uh, it was, it was pretty funny. And he, you know, he said, nah, man, cause he saw me, like I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he said, nah, man, I'm in, I'm in AA. Like, I don't take anything that affects me from the neck up. And I was just like, wait, what? Dude, like, why are you talking like that? You know, I never heard someone say some stuff like that, you know? And then he said, um, he said, you know what, man, don't worry. It's not for you. And that was the perfect kind of 12 step call on someone like me, because, you know, up to that point, everyone had an idea of where I should be. And so he, at that point was not the enemy. Uh, anyone else in my life who told me where I should be or what I should be doing or sobriety that they were all the enemy. And, and he, he put it in a way that I could, it was palatable, you know, like it was approachable. And so like you uh, could we, challenge him. Yeah. Like you could what, be like, what do you mean? I, I wouldn't, what do you mean me? I wouldn't, what do you mean? It's yeah, exactly. Like, like maybe your little neck up club might benefit from my presence, you know, the, the, <laughs> the hooks were set, you know? And so, and I appreciate that. And, you know, we started hanging tough. Like I said, go to Hollywood, this, that, and no matter what we did, whether it was like the best night of our lives or complete and utter boredom. And we're just playing dominoes at a coffee shop. Like this dude stayed sober the whole time. And me, I was always that same spectrum of, you know, boredom to, to amazing. I was always obliterated. And so that was an eye opener for me that you could live life regardless of what life was presenting and be able to maintain your recovery. And so all of a sudden he realizes after kicking it tough for, you know, uh, maybe a couple of few months uh, that I might be a candidate for the neck up club. And he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he took me to uh, my first meeting and I didn't know he made it sound like he wanted to go to a meeting. And so he said, Hey man, uh, roll with me to this meeting real quick. <laughs> I was like, the last thing I want to do is do that. And so I told him, I said, nah, man, it's not going to work for me. Um, and he said, will you just go to support me? And it was the perfect way to present it because I would never go for myself because I don't need that. And I actually feared it. But if I'm there to support my boy, like I got, I got my people's back, you know, always. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I went with him and it, he said, don't worry, man, it's over at this log cabin in West Hollywood. And I was like, okay, Lincoln, you know, like log cabin, like, what are you talking, like, what year is it, bro? <laughs> um, and, and then he, he prefaced our little field trip to ANA and he says, yeah, don't worry, it's not a cult. And I went, oh, <laughs> cool, wait, what? Like, why, sorry, why did you tell me like, that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've never been anywhere on the planet where someone beforehand said, don't worry, it's not a cult. So immediately I knew it's a cult. Um, 
we get there. It's Thanksgiving morning, mind you. Uh, I had been up for a couple few days. Uh, him and I had pulled an all-nighter. Like I said, we'd go out to clubs, party, you know, play dominoes, you know, run run the city. Uh, but he stayed sober. Like I said, he was like a sober all-nighter type of guy. And me, I was obliterated. And so I was not in my right mind, at, you know. Um, and the last place I want to be is at this meeting. But, you know, we get over there. I'm wearing a bright orange shirt at the time. And it says, I heart heroin. Um, and I hadn't really planned this field trip to ANA too well. Yeah. And we get there and the place is popping, man. And I was a bit confused because I, I thought AA was just, you know, um, trench coats, uh, the destitute, you know, like just rough, rough side of things, you know. And it turned out like people were looking fresh. They had slept the night before. Some of them, I think, knew each other outside the meeting and they were hooking up and stuff and uh, good, you know, nice cars, nice clothes. I'm confused. And I think it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought I know what those words meant separate. I don't, I don't know what happened when you put them together uh, besides improper grammar, I guess, you know, like just alcoholics. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. And he says, Hey, we got to save seats and we save seats. We don't even get two seats together. And then he says, let's go outside and smoke a stove. I'm like, cool. Roll outside, light up my cigarette, you know, my lucky strike non filter. And, and <laughs> I put on my best, you know, I'm here to support a friend. Don't talk to me face. And what you guys all saw was newcomer and everyone keeps coming up to me. Hey man, like, you know, this one guy's like, Hey, where'd you get that shirt? And what I thought I said was this girl that I hooked up with left it at my house. I just never gave it back. I think what came out was, you know, uh, so like this girl, <laughs> I just kept mumbling. And then he goes right on brother and just walks off, you know, laughing. And then this other guy comes off and he's like, Hey man, you need to take that shirt off. That's a trigger. He's like, how, you know, that could get someone loaded. And I'm like, trigger loaded. I was like, what's with all the gun references, you know? And, <laughs> The whole thing was just bizarre and then they're like meeting time and you know all these things like the the whole 12-step way was super foreign to me and and just not my flavor just not my thing and i was super freaked out by the whole thing everyone kept clapping it's an la thing some other places do it but typically la is super it's, self-congratulatory I'm in PA now. yeah i'm in pa now like they don't clap when you're done a share like they don't say you know thank you for your it's none of that it's like all right who else is going to share now like <laughs> they don't even read the. They don't even read the fifth step tradition, and it, it upset. Like when I got back here, I'm like, I want to read the fifth step. What are we? I want to read a portion from from chapter five. Or I meant chapter five. I want to yeah. read a portion from chapter five. What the hell is this? I want to read how it works. I read yeah. how it works every night at late night. I want to read how it works. They're yeah. like, we don't do that here. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's a much different world, man. You know, and I look at it, and it was just super funky to me. Um, and they kept clapping. You know, they clapped for the coffee guy. I'm like, really? But you're clapping for the coffee guy? Like, not even like someone doing something, you know, for people's sobriety, you know? And I mean, don't get me wrong, I love coffee, but it was just wild. And I just, I wanted to follow these people to Starbucks, you know what I mean? See if they clap for the barista. They're like, oh, it's a grande. <laughs> clap, 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 you know? Um, the whole thing was just funky, man. We held hands at the ends of the Lord's Prayer. You know, it was, it was super strange to me. And people seemed to know each other. It felt clicky. Um, and maybe that's an LA thing or just, you know, just feeling like an outsider, you know, it just wasn't my, wasn't my bag, man. And, and it's unfortunate, you know, and it, I kept my distance for a long time. And the only way that it became viable, like a viable solution to, you know, my problem was when I had hit so low that I really had exhausted all other options. And I think some people don't have to go to that level, but for me, for whatever reason, I just, I guess I had to, I had to hit my head pretty hard multiple times in order for me to say, okay, maybe I'll give it a, a full fledged shot.
Because you were a heavy drinker, right? When you were like a teenager and going into your 20s, like you were just a partier. You dr- you did whatever you was put in front of you, basically. Yeah. You were just addicted. Yeah. Like I always say I was addicted to more. Yeah. You know, I wanted more and I wanted it right now. Like that's why I snipped a pill and not ate a pill. That's why I chugged and not sipped. You know, it's because yeah. I wanted it now. I didn't want to wait. You know, so yeah. I, I hear you, I man. I definitely it, relate. Yeah. yeah. And that was my story as well. You know, there was just never enough. And it's that that feeling inside of uh, not being OK with self. You know, there was not and, and not even just self, but self within the world and every part of the world as far as responsibility, accountability, uh, schedules, voicemails, just responding to questions like, hey, how are you? How's your day? It's like, yo, that's a big ask, man. Like you're asking me to respond like, dude, I don't know, man. You know, and and just the world. I was a raw nerve ending in a world that was testing me, you know, that just kept making me feel things. And uh, to be able to navigate through that without taking something just seemed uh, impossible. You know, the only way that I was able to feel not even okay, but just to where I could at least exist and sort of stumble through it was with alcohol and drugs, you know? And so, you know, it's just wild, man, wild. So yeah, the first meeting was a little funky. I remember Damien came up to me afterwards and he said, um, hey man, uh, what'd you think? And I said, never. And he's like, wait, what? I said, never. And I realized I was kind of hurting his feelings because, you know, A&A was his get down. And, and you know, he said, um, what do you mean? I said, oh, dude, I'll never let it get so bad that I have to end up here. I, I'll never come out here. And he said, all right. You know, um, yeah, it just wasn't my thing, man. He knew. He knew that's what he knew. That's what would be your thing, though, I think. You know, uh, when Damien you, when was, you're, yeah, when you're best friends wiser. with somebody, when you're best friends with somebody like that, you know, they know you know each other. You know what that person needs. It's like, you know, being best friends and growing up with somebody, it's basically like a common law marriage, you know, like where you just you know each other in and out. You know, yeah. you can tell by a look of what you need or what you don't need or like what's wrong, you know, like you're smiling, but something's wrong, you know, exactly. and friends can feel that shit, especially the people that you grow up with since kids. You know, you change together, oh, you totally. grow together, you know. Especially yeah. someone sober. How much time did he have when, you know, he was like kind of like, for anybody who doesn't know what an Eskimo is, is somebody who introduces you to the program, basically. Yeah, he had he had at that time like four and a half years, almost five years, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken. And and also the, the unique thing about Damien and, you know, as compared to some other people in 12 Steps, a lot of people in 12 Steps, there's that dogma, you know, like there's that that kind of, um, you know, got like kind of cult of personality where it's like you know if you don't do it this way then you know you're, you're wrong die. and yeah and it's and it's like don't get me wrong like I've I've experienced that and I've I've seen it um and I think you know there's something very powerful to the uh, you know any 12-step program and the, the basic breakdown is amazing but much like most organized elements within the world whether that be uh religion 12 steps um employment, family, you know, anything with a group of people, mm-hmm. the thing that sort of mucks it up is people, you know, like yeah. we, we twist things and we have all these little, you know, twists and turns and, and, and we get upset with each other. And so, you know, um, but I realized like the thing about Damien that was so unique was that he didn't paint the picture of AA as a necessity per se. He more presented it as um, he was tricky in his delivery. And which is much different than myself. Like now I come across someone that needs help, man, I've got a list of things you should do to help you out. And that's like the worst thing I should say to them. 
what I should say is like, man, you know what, whatever you do, don't try 12 steps. Don't try religion. Don't try anything that like, you know, helps a lot of people. Cause those are bogus. You know what I mean? They help so many people. There must be something up with it. You know I mean? <laughs> don't go, don't go to that meeting. Like heads up, man. It might, it might work. <laughs> That'd be the worst. Right. <laughs> and then let them find it on their own. And that's kind of how Damien got me. So, but I, I think it depends on the person though. I think if you know the person then you can present it that way, but in, in your position, cause you work in recovery, you know, so, you know, you have to be a little more, you know, raw and like straightforward with people when you're already working in recovery they kind of expect to hear some kind of thing from you I feel like you know what I mean because like I work in recovery now too technically you know I talk to addicts all day long you know I facilitate yeah. four meetings a day and well three meetings but either way a bunch of meetings a day I'm talking to people and there's some people where I have to be straightforward with like because if I'm not straightforward with them they could die straight yeah. up they could die you know, yeah. and and I'm not going to mince words. You know, there are people that need kid gloves and you can almost feel that out just by their eyes. I, You know, by now, when you're looking at somebody, you can tell what you need to say to them. I feel like like how do, what do you do now? Cause you work in recovery, right? Yeah, I uh, I started a company some years back uh, that specializes in in-home treatment. So um, I kind of identified that you know, residential rehab or residential treatment centers are wonderful. And typically people are able to stay sober while they're there. The difficulty arises when they go home. And most people, that's why the quote unquote success rates uh, should be the opposite, but the success rates are abysmal. You know, they're just, it's, it's, you know, it typically doesn't work. Um, being able to translate, you know, the, the knowledge and tools that are acquired in, in treatment and apply them in a home setting, you know, you go from a place like rehab where you've got, First of all, containment. There's no booze or drugs. Uh, you've got a support staff, you know, clinicians and otherwise, and then you know, techs and that. And then you've got your peer support group, you know. And so you've got this, this, I guess, you know, for what it's like, in a very unrealistic setting. And yeah. but it's it, it's you know, focus on yourself. It gives you containment. It gives you a foundation. From there, uh, translating home, all of a sudden you have access to booze and drugs. You have no clinicians, no support staff. You've got no peer group but you've got this discharge plan and it's like, Hey, hit 90 and 90. Here's maybe a warm referral to talk to a therapist near you. Um, but you got this man, most people fall off. And so I developed a, a program that primarily focuses on in-home care. And I took that added clinicians, added uh, 24 hour recovery agents that stay with the individual uh, therapists, psychs, all that nutrition, personal trainers, and essentially created what, appears as you know rehab at home um, yeah that is incredible because like that is the thing like i i'm lucky i'm one of the few that you go to rehab one time and you get out and you're still clean i mean granted it's only yeah. been three years knock on wood but like you know it's still have a lot of time ahead of me that i got to work through obviously and a lot of work still to do and we all do i mean even it's never done you're, we're never done doing this you know yeah. never done learning something and if you think you're done then you just failed if you think that you're done, you learned everything, then you automatically just failed the game <laughs> because you're not Big supposed time. to learn everything. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, yeah, that that's an amazing thing because I think almost everybody I went to rehab with has relapsed at one point since I left. Yeah. You know, and a few have died and it sucks and it's yeah. the name of the game. It's what happens. It's the system because you go into that safe place in that space where, you know, nothing can touch you and you're just shooting hoops and smoking cigarettes and attending groups. 
You know, yeah. if you're lucky, if, if you're lucky, your place takes you to a meeting a couple times a day or once a day or something like that. But yeah. once, you know, it, that's definitely because that's the problem. You get back home into your environment and around the people, places and things again. And you weren't acclimated to that. And all of a sudden it's like you don't have any tools. Yeah, you didn't. You, don't, you know, you just know how to get by when you're in that safe place of making your bed and reading the doing the things every morning. You didn't have to go to rehab, did you? You went you went right into the program, though. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I ended up uh, I didn't have a place to live at the very end. Like I kind of blew it. I uh, had an eviction notice, uh, got kicked out, got kicked out of mom's, um, you know, and I really didn't have any options. And I knew about this place. I didn't have any money. I had no resources. Uh, had blown everything. Um, cars gone. You know, every, everything. I had really, I'd really burned it down. And it wasn't much to burn down, but I had burned what little I had down. And um, yeah, I, I Damien took me to that meeting. That was like the introduction. I didn't stay. I, I wasn't there for myself at that point. I didn't have a problem in my mind. Um, but then later on when it really did hit and I felt like, okay, and there were, you know, bouts where I would check it out, you know, I'd get like, you know, a few days, typically within the five, seven day range was like as much as I could get one time, only one other time I got 45 days and that was tooth and nail. Um, and then I would, I would always just give in, I would always go back and it was, um, treacherous. I just, I, and I, and then I started to believe that I just couldn't get it you know, that I was constitutionally incapable. Um, and it took what it took, you know, and that was part of my process. I don't wish it upon anyone um, beyond just the recovery part that I actually did get it, but everyone's different. Everyone has their own path and that, that goes for the experience. And that also goes for uh, whether or not they get it. Um, you know, we talk about experiences, the key, you know, and passing on our experience and not just opinion, but even my experience, as much as it's very valid in the sense that it's true, doesn't mean that my experience will be yours or that who I am as a person is going to synthesize with, you know, this, this process, you know? So um, I'm always cognizant of that because it's a big deal to tell someone like, Hey, this worked for me. It should work for you. You just got to do it. It's like, eh. no, I feel like all of our addictions know. look different. So our recoveries can look different. You know, if that's an okay thing, it's not a bad thing. If your recovery, if my recovery looks different from your recovery, which it does, you know, we all have different stories and that's what makes us people and unique, you know, and yeah. it's just about, you know, appreciating that person and just like saying, way to go. Thanks for even being here. Thanks for even trying. Are you still going to meetings and everything too? Uh, mainly online. Uh, my beautiful wife is uh, eight months pregnant. And so um, obviously we're not trying to uh, get sick at this point. It's pretty hot here in L.A. Uh, yeah, she's she's pretty miserable and just ready to be a mother of two as opposed to you know a mother of one and pregnant with one so um <laughs> so she doesn't want to get there sick. yeah yeah and between that and just even just a cold i don't think she just wants to get anything you know when you're pregnant your immunity is low and that and so um i've been just doing online every so often i've done some outdoor meetings um you know kind of spaced out in that i'm actually um yeah yeah so is she sober too she is. Yeah, she has. Um, she's 2010. So she will be, I think, in September 11. She's coming up on awesome. 11. Very That's soon, awesome. actually. About a week it's, away. it's always good when like you have that in a relationship where you're both like you both want the same kind of things like that. You know, it makes it a lot easier 
to like be on the same page because especially you're saying like you know she's afraid of getting sick your immunity's low like my wife just got diagnosed with ms um last month and so like now her vaccines are null and void because yeah. she has to go on autoimmune suppressants and all that shit so like we, we're being extra yeah. careful um yeah. and luck luckily luckily but our meetings aren't huge yet you know we just opened on the 4th yeah. of july so oh, wow. okay yeah we have a handful of people that come out to different meetings and sometimes just three of us but as you know all it takes seven meetings two people sitting across from each other having a conversation that's so, it so yeah that's you know we do different things like trauma you know one night's for trauma one night's even for lgbtq community you know they have for them to have support you know, yeah. harm, harm reduction, you know, and just just giving people other options, you know. So yeah. we talk about harm reduction for a meeting and like moderation. Try to cut back. You know, I don't care if you don't know how to stop right off the bat and cold turkey. Come yeah. here high. Maybe be a little less high next time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it. because, you know, I can't make you stop, no. you know. And I, I literally just interviewed the dude who wrote the book on harm reduction yesterday. That's awesome. Um, yeah, he has like a giant Facebook group with like nine thousand people in it that all they do is talk about how they like they have planned intox. Now funny it's funny to think about like, you know, can you imagine looking at your counter like, all right, now twenty first I'm gonna get hammered. <laughs> That's wow. And I, I said to him, More power to you, dude. If you you know, he's in his sixties and he can like handle it and do it. I was like, I, I can't. I, I you know, I really am powerless. I don't know how to stop. Once I yeah. start I can't stop. And it's not an AA thing where it's indoctrinated with me. It's I tried it. I tried to drink in moderation and then I drank the whole bottle and yeah. I didn't want to drink the whole bottle, you know, and I just, I don't know how I, I need more and I need more, you know, my drinks get heavier and heavier. And the next thing you know, it's all Jack and a splash of Coke, you know? Yeah. And I, I just, it's not where I want to live my life anymore. How I want to live my life. You know, yeah. I have permanent damage to my pancreas because of 20 years of drinking hard and 10 years of pills every day that my gallbladder just got removed two months ago because of that shit. Yeah, so that'll do but, it, you know, and I love <laughs> I love, you know, kind of what you talked about, you know, and there's two points, you know, knowing not knowing per se, but I guess like knowing what works for you, but then being open to the idea that and kind of like what we talked about before, you know. Mm -hmm having another process for someone else and being open to that and let, giving them that forum and that, that space to, to be okay. And to try that. And it might not be your thing, but you know, to be open to it and say, Hey, listen, if the goal is, you know, progress, not perfection, uh, yeah. hint, hint, um, then you know what, that's achievable. And if we look at it that way, it's like, it's not so um, punitive or judgmental you know, to, for someone to say, you know what, I, I kind of want to give it a shot, but that regimented kind of, you know, uh, strict or rigid view from, from 12 steps or from anything else just doesn't serve me. Um, but I could get behind, you know, this format or that format. And I think it's about exploration and then also being honest with yourself, like you said, because sometimes I think we use an alternative to kind of condone something else and we go oh well i'll just do that and meanwhile i know in the back of my mind I, harm reduction's not it can't be my thing you know um it's just not and i'm not judging harm reduction i'm judging harm reduction for personal just myself yeah. that's it i just know for me um but some people use that and they go oh oh that's the new deal all right let me get behind that you know and it's just one more way to stay um uh, you know unhappy unhealthy 
so, you know, as long as I have an accurate assessment, um, an honest sort of uh, overview of who I am, then, you know, at that point, I have an opportunity. If I am unable to be honest in that, uh, then I have to trust, hopefully, whoever my trusted inner circle is, you know, hopefully I'm surrounded by people that love me enough to shoot me straight. Like you talked about with your sponsee and just being able to say, Hey, this is, this is it, you know, and I'm going to come at you brass tacks because you know what, your life depends upon it. Was there like an inciting incident that like led you back into like, all right, now I got to go try this and do this. It was just like, it was, it was, uh, a day like thousands of others, you know, um, and it was uh, it was just that pit one more time and knowing that uh, I was I was fading and I knew that I was fading. I started having certain pains. I started like in my chest I had and, and granted I had had those before, but everything was just different. And I, I knew I was unwell and I was mm-hmm. very afraid. Um, I had hoped that I knew, first of all, I knew that I couldn't get sober. But for whatever reason, I thought regardless of what my head's telling me and what my heart believes to be true my job is just to try one more time and I did and I kind of just moped around I was very Eeyore at meetings and my little rain cloud followed me with my pinned on tail and you know and I was just moping and I knew it wouldn't work and um you know the beautiful part about it is it's it's like what we started off with which it's like you know I just happened to be open enough and what was being said to me was just the right message for that moment and then there were more moments that stacked together and and then there were some that were um you know I could say divine I could say what a fate whatever you know where I wanted to drink I wanted to use and I was going to and for whatever reason it fell through and I could say that I took credit and I always did the right thing and all that. Um, but early on, it was seconds and inches. And a lot of them had nothing to do with me. And it was universal. And for whatever reason, I was spared from that moment. Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful because it allowed me to continue uh, to, to, to persist and to build more of a foundation. You know, So yeah. nothing really happened. I woke up on someone else's couch again. Um, sometime around, I think two o'clock in the afternoon, cause I've been up to the wee hours and then decided that little Cessna, um, decided that I didn't know what to do. And I caught the bus home, multiple buses. One of them was not, wasn't, wasn't running for whatever reason. So I had to walk, I hoofed it and I laid in my bed, you know, and I just looked up at that, you know, popcorn ceiling. And I don't know if you can relate, but I just remember looking at, I would do this all the time, uh, every day, multiple times. And I would look for faces, you know, like just the little divots in the popcorn. I'd look for faces like I always did. And my mind would race and I would think about the laundry list of things that I wanted to tackle. And that ranged from some of the basics, like just ADLs and like brushing my teeth and bathing and like, you know, paying very basic bills or, uh, you know, just very basic things that needed to happen priorities and then it would range my list would go all the way down to you know donating my time to charity and you know saving the world or something and everything in between and I would just make that list in my complete and you know utter insanity and then I just didn't know and then it got a little bit later and for whatever reason um, I reached out to someone and they told me about a men's meeting nearby and I went to that meeting and I knew, you know, I had nowhere to go. I had been kicked out. 
evicted and um i shared and i just said hey you know i need food i need job for money so i can buy food i need a place to live i i'm um, i'm done and they said cool thank you for sharing like you're going to be just fine just make sure that you know you keep quiet and you can hear the speaker and uh, afterwards put away some chairs pick up cigarette butts you're going to be great I was just super confused because I was speaking of necessities and I'm just like, wait a minute. Um, these are necess like food shelter. And you guys are telling me, you know, to put away chairs and pick up cigarette butts. And I don't know if that's a paid position. I don't believe it is, but that's really not going to solve. First of all, my problem, which is food and shelter. Secondly, what does that even have to do with sobriety? Um, and then the person reiterated themselves and say, now it's actually time to sit down make sure you can hear the speaker when they're done thank them um after the meeting put away chairs and pick up cigarette butts you're gonna be just fine and i sat down just completely dejected i knew for a fact that i was in the wrong place i knew that that equation would not help me and i just sat there and the speaker that night uh at my first meeting back spoke to me um and he was a very prominent speaker and i didn't know that i didn't even actually realize that until uh this last year and i had no idea that i someone had pulled up a picture he since passed away and um, he spoke to me, broke tradition, and he spoke to me directly at that meeting. Uh, the way that it worked it was it was participation, and then the speaker would speak. And he said, I was just like you. Um, and he goes, if I had a magic wand, and if I, he's like, I thought if I could just get my life in order, then sobriety would be an option. But I needed to get these things first, and then I could get sober. And he's like, that's the cart before the horse, man. He goes, you know, you need to get your sobriety in order, and then life works itself out. I said, yeah, but without my life in order, I can't even, I don't even have a shot at sobriety. And I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And he said, he said, I was just like you, but if I had a magic wand and let's say that I could just give you that job and give you um, that, that food and I could give you that place to live. And you know what, kid, we're even going to get you laid, you know, like get you laid. So you have a relationship. So you won't whine about that. He goes, if I could give you all those things, but if I did not give you a foundation in your recovery, he goes, you would continue to relapse you would lose all those things that i just gave you and you would do that over and over again until you actually invested yourself into recovery yeah and in that brief little description he summed up five years of my life and as much as i knew the equation did not fit that if i put away chairs and picked up cigarette butts i was not going to be okay that i wouldn't magically have a place to stay and i wouldn't magically have food or money in my pocket or a job and I just sat there and I listened. And afterwards, I thanked him, my head down. I put him in my chair and one other. Uh, and mainly to prove everyone, like prove to them it wouldn't work. Like, see, I'll show you. You know, just that passive aggressive nature, that that selfish, like prickish nature that I came in with. And I put away those two chairs. I went downstairs and started picking up cigarette butts angrily. It just, ugh, yeah, you'll see, assholes, you know, just. Uh, putting them and then this guy came up to me as a tennis instructor in the valley and he said hey i'm really surprised you stuck around yeah i didn't expect like i thought you'd be gone he goes you know what my sponsor says i'm allowed to have someone stay with me for two weeks and no longer because that's not helping uh at that point it's hurting you he goes but you can stay with me for two weeks and all of a sudden here i was up there homeless no future nothing knowing that it wouldn't work and i know this isn't everyone's story it doesn't work like that and i don't want to give this idea that you know if you do that it's going to work it, it just happened to it was a very i can't even say it was a humble moment because like 
it was so wrought with like resentment and anger. Um, but I did it. And the next thing you know, I had a place to stay for two weeks. And after that, someone saw that I was really doing the deal in those two weeks. And this other guy let me stay with him for a month and a half. And um, yeah, it was wild. And the next thing you know, my mom, she helped me bake a cake because I got a cake commitment and she wanted nothing to do with me, no money. I said, no, 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 no. I was like, I don't want any money, but I got this cake commitment at this old A&A thing. And, you know, and I got to like bring a cake and candles and I'm not asking for money, but I know you know how to bake. And like, would you be willing to help me bake a cake? And and she helped me bake a cake. And in the kitchen, I was Betty Crocker, man, you know, and she gave me like, <laughs> I'm frosting the thing, circle, yeah. triangle, happy birthday, you know, like just getting yeah. all into it. And then I got to the meeting and it dawned to me, no one ever bakes the cake. And I was like, oh man, here I am brown bagging it again. And everyone else's cafeteria lunch because I'm the poor kid. And my mom gave me those already, she saves candles, you know, like, yeah. so they were the already burnt candles. So I'm like coming up there with these toasted candles. And I'm just thinking like, man, I am such a piece of shit. And, uh, you know, and I remember the secretary, I went up to her as a friend of mine, Michelle Strawberry. And I said, um, I said, hey, I just want to apologize. When you said you needed a cake person, I just didn't want to be greeter anymore because I hate people looking me in the eyes. I felt so ugly and so broken. And the last thing I wanted to do was say hi to people. Um, so I was like, any other commitment was great. I was like, cake commitment? Cool. What is it? Like, what do I have to do? And she told me, she's like, you got to bring a cake and candles, save your receipt. We'll reimburse you. And I was like, and I knew I had no cash. I had nothing. There was no way I could get a cake. And I just walked away because my pride was too big because I couldn't afford it. And I just went, okay. And I like just left and I figured I would just steal one or do something. And I, instead I asked my mom, like any tough gangster does, you know, yeah, um, swallow like, your hey, pride. Mom, yeah it's like cartman man (laughs) yeah exactly you know and uh i baked that cake and and i remember coming up to the meeting i i got a ride from the guy i was uh sleeping on the couch with and uh he said um his house and he said hey will you uh he gave me a ride and i went up to her and i said hey i'm really sorry i was too embarrassed to tell you when i took the commitment but i couldn't afford a cake so i i baked one and i know i just it dawned on me like no one ever bakes the cake um and i just i want to apologize and she was like wait you baked the cake and i'm like dude yes i'm so sorry like i get it like i don't need this please and she said that's so incredible she's like what type of cake is it and i was like it's a it's a carrot cake um you know uh cream cream cheese frosting and she's like that's so rad like yeah. oh my god that's incredible it's beyond ate the cake. <laughs> that was a humble moment but i didn't yeah. know it it wasn't like yeah. i planned it it was more just had i known what the the process entailed i would have never gotten myself into it because yeah. of fear and my head and the voices and all that but instead i just did it and there's something about that nike slogan of just doing it just you know, I have a pair of shorts and I'm like somehow on the inside band of the shorts, it says start before you're ready. Okay. And I love that. It's like, just yeah. go. It's like basically the just do it, but just go. Yeah. And yeah. I had no idea that if I just showed up, if I just agreed somehow, some way life will meet you. Life will make sure that it shows up and it's the law of attraction, man. It's just what's meant to be. And that's continued to unfold in my life, you know, some 20 years later. You know, that law of attraction was my higher power before I chose Bill Murray. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to even say God just because the Catholic church, you know, was I was in, growing up in and I had a hard time with even that. About, you know, the program is like the fourth and fifth step for me changed everything. 
like doing an honest fourth and fifth step changed so much for me of like just giving me pure relief because I don't even think that I even hit rock bottom until I did that if that makes sense like I feel like you're rock bottom and everybody else's is the same and it's the day we surrender to the program it's the day we surrender to doing something that we don't know it's the day that we're like fuck it tell me how to live my life because I'm not doing it right you know because a lot of people I know they're nine months sober and miserable or they're nine months you know white knuckle in it but miserable because they're not trying anything different except for to quit drinking but they're not trying to get outside of themselves they're not trying to change anything and you know the one rule you don't have to change everything just you know no you want to change one thing and it's everything (laughs) and you know and it's the truth though you you know that's i believe the rock bottoms are all the same for that reason you know we all have different low points getting arrested losing family lose wife leaving husband leaving whatever you know, those are all low points, but I feel like our rock bottom is when we surrender, because if not, how else are we climbing out? You yeah. know, like that's when we start climbing again. It's one of those things that, you know, people don't realize that when you're changing a lot of things, it's a scary thing. That's that's why they don't want to change. You don't you know, the unknown is a fearful place, you know, yeah. and it's and for everyone in life, not just alcoholics or addicts. Just the fear of the unknown is what causes depression, what causes people to spin out and lose their mind sometimes. But when you're not worried about the unknown and you just face it, you know, then you're going to see that it's not that bad, you know, because before it was fuck everything and run. That was fear, you know, and now it's face everything and recover, you know, and that's something that I keep with me because I moved 30 times in 15 years in addiction, four states. You know what I mean? I was in Mass. I was in Jersey. I was in North Carolina. I was in PA. I just kept running. Unfortunately, I, that was what I was only changing was my address. You know, I, my head was still the same. That was still coming with me everywhere. You yeah. know, I put together like four months at one point in Massachusetts. In like 2011, I was writing a screenplay and I was really happy and I was working a lot. And I was just in a good place. And I, I was doing pills, but here and there, you know, and I would drink here and there. And that was probably the cleanest I ever was in nine and a half years was those like four or five months. And then, of course, like, you know, life happens, you know, and your best friends are in a horrible car accident. And you're like, fuck it. I'm moving back to Jersey to be close to my friends. And then really, I went back to Jersey and I started using, you know, and I just need to start escaping again because, like, I didn't know how to deal with it, you know, and it's it's a shame. But, you know. Uh, I did want to bring up, like, I love that wearing that purple shirt's perfect for today, man, um, for today. And I'm glad that we got to even talk today because, you know, it's overdose. And you know, it's going to be released probably tomorrow. But, you know, today's a big day for the recovery community with the Overdose Awareness Day. And it's the end of Overdose Awareness Month. And do you want to wrap up, you know, kind of what we started with? Like, how long ago now, you know, did he pass? If you don't mind me. Yeah. Uh, so Damien, actually, uh, my Eskimo, my best friend of almost 30 years, uh, passed away, uh, June 28th of 2016. And that night, um, was a week after my, what's that? 15th birthday. Um, or sorry, 16th birthday. So it was 2017. Sorry, I forgot the year 2017. And he was supposed to give me a cake that night to, uh, commemorate my, my uh my 16th birthday and instead i got a call from santa monica police department 
that my best friend was on life support and that I should probably come to the hospital. And I did. Um, and I'd, I'd seen other people on life support. I had, you know, a couple family members, other friends, um, and much of the same in the sense of, you know, they're there, the body is warm. Um, they're alive, but they're not there. And I thought it was, uh, kind of like, a I guess like a King Arthur sword in the stone kind of a thing. Like I figured like maybe I could talk to him if he heard me, you know, just because of our history and that. And, you know, like I said, almost 30 years of a friendship, you know, just thick as thieves and sober as could be. And we had played bones the day before, like always, um, you know, I thought, I thought I could say the thing that would, uh, that would wake him up and, you know, alcoholism, uh, addiction just doesn't work like that. And, you know, it's been, <laughs> been four years, man. And I, uh, I just missed my flight. Yeah. Was it, was it a relapse? Oh yeah. He had been out the day before we actually played dominoes and, uh, we had talked cause we were, we were in like a good groove and my daughter was born and, uh, I wasn't able to meet up with them every morning and not that it should be dependent upon that. We have to have our own yeah. individual, you know, recovery, whatever that may be. And I can't be, can't be dependent upon people or, or places or things because those change. And, um, and unfortunately he, he succumbed to, you know, the, the illness as many do and, you know, but he was managing for the most part. And I think, uh, he had a seizure and was out too long and, you know, not enough oxygen to the brain. And, um, by the time he was found and that, um, it was too late. And so he stayed on life support for, I think another week after. And, um, the doctor said that there was zero brain activity and there was no chance of him coming back. And, uh, his mother decided to, um, to eventually pull the plug and, you know, alcoholism just doesn't care. Drug addiction does not care. And no matter how smart and crafty he was and, you know, making approaches and um, just life in general and, and how beautiful his light was, um, again, no one's exempt. You know, no one's yeah. exempt from the dangers of what it does. And now these days and age, it's like, you know, things read the same. Like it's still cocaine. It's still uh, heroin, you know, but you don't know what's in it. And now with fentanyl and, you know, all these other fun things, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's wild out there, man. And people are dropping scary. Like flies and it's scary, yeah. bro. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to relapse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I am legitimately like before I would have known if I would have relapsed, like, oh, okay, I can do a couple thirties and I'll be good to go. And it's a couple thirties. Now I don't know what's in the thirties. I don't know no what clue. there's fentanyl in them. And that yeah. scares the shit out of me, you know? And like, I need you to know, like, that helped me. Like, you, like, because I did have a friend that we were both sober together. We both went to rehab together. He went to Florida. I went to California. And we talked all the time on the phone, the three-hour time difference. We both came back to Jersey and PA. He relapsed right after Halloween, and he died on his relapse. And I had to go back to Jersey, you know, six months sober, and be around people I know that are high, and know that they have drugs on them and know that that was the last thing that I needed or wanted, you know, and it's because like, I almost felt like he taught me a lesson that I didn't want him to teach me, you know, he died so I could live, you know, kind of thing. And it's the only way that like, I can be okay with this life anymore with 
seeing people die all the time. And I knew that this was not going to be the first one. You know, him and I, 12 years, you know, the entire first grade through senior year, we were backyard neighbors, you know, birthdays three weeks apart. You know, first time I ever smoked weed, he got me high, you know, and (laughs) I have so many amazing. He was the smartest person I've ever like. Not he wasn't grade smart. You know, he wasn't getting straight A's, but the most intelligent person I had ever met. You know, somebody yeah. that can hold a conversation on any topic and yeah. be keen on it. You know, like Jesse knew his shit for anything. He was an intelligent, intelligent person. Just like yeah. a lot of us, when we're when we're smart or when we're compassionate or when we care, or have empathy, we're broken. <laughs> you know, we you know, we try too much. We want so hard and we care. We love so hard that is like, all right, now I need to like get out of myself because I'm hurting too much, you know? Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exactly. why having a solid foundation and having support groups. And I don't care if you're going to AA, I don't care if you're going to the smart meetings, the harm reduction meetings, go somewhere, talk to people, you know, yeah. ha- know, know that you're not being judged. You know, that's a big thing. Get shit off your chest that you're holding on to because that's just that's cancer you're holding on to. You know, that that yeah. shit's gonna kill you. You have big to time. let it out. I don't that's why I love the fourth and fifth step. You know, that's why I mentioned that. Because talking to somebody else, you know, I don't know about you, my fourth step was pages of resentment to get myself. <laughs> you know, I resented myself more than anybody when I did my fourth step. And there was things that I said on there that I had, haven't said since. Yeah. And just the, just saying them out loud, I got that off my chest, got it off my shoulders. And I literally felt lighter, you yeah. know, and I and it's, it's so funny that I didn't even realize that the date was going to line up. And you're like, yeah, next Tuesday is going to work. And now yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm posting for Overdose Awareness Day and you're wearing a purple and, and everything. I'm like, holy shit. It, it it definitely works out, man. Like it definitely, Always. you know, it all supposed to happen that way because now it gives yeah. you a chance to like talk openly and remember them, you know, yeah. and that's the whole point is he would want you to do that. He would want you to be doing what you're doing. He would want yeah. you to be talking about it. You know, you know that, you know, right. I, I would want somebody else talking about shit that I did. You know, I, yeah. I think I, you know, I, I if want it could this. help someone else. Yeah, exactly. And, and even just helping one person, even just knowing I can help one person. Yeah. And, you know, you did that for me. And that's why for I wanted sure. you on. Cause like, I'll never forget that shit, dude. And yeah. I never learned how to grieve. You know, I started drinking at 11 and then 12, somebody I knew died. And yeah. then that was like, I know how to fix this. I'm going to get drunk, you know? Yeah. And like, that was just my ongoing, you know, what I was going to do was medicate, you know, with that and numb whenever I got upset. So, like, that was my first time handling grief in sobriety and in general, you know, yeah. and you helped me a lot with that. And Damien helped me a lot with that, that story and what happened that that's why I'm here right now. And I still haven't touched pills. And I've learned that you can move on. You can still remember people in a positive way. You can not have to relapse because your best friend relapsed. You can live for them and not like yeah. against them. You know, and just I I just I needed you to remember that because or at least know that more because like I'm still sitting here, you know. Yeah. This is going on now. I'm helping other people. You know, the domino effect. Talk about dominoes. Talk about like, 
you know, you inadvertently helping me, a stranger sitting in the corner of an AA meeting at 11 o'clock at night on a random night in fucking Marina Vista, you know what I mean? And three years later, I'm helping other people because of what you gave to me that night. You know? Appreciate that, man. Thank you. So, yeah, and I appreciate it too, man. And so I'm just glad it all worked out, like, to the point where now we can talk about it. Where it's not a stigma. It's still a stigma. You know, let's be real. Like, we're still a stigma. (laughs) We're still walking stigmas. But I don't give a shit anymore because I was a stigma before. And at least least my stigma now is that I'm clean and that I don't drink and I don't need drugs. I don't need other stimulants. You know, okay, I'm drinking a monster. But still, like, it's because I'm I'm a workaholic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i choose that over the alternative so yeah, yeah and man. the coffee fucks up my stomach too much so i can only have like one cup a day and i'm like done so yeah. it's, it's hot up here in the mountains dude it's we're in the valley we're in a valley of mountains up in pa we're like out by the poconos and so like yeah. it, get, it gets hot around here too not as quite like the valley that you're used to because you grew up in the valley valley right no, 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 no. I oh, grew okay. up uh, all throughout LA. Nah, born downtown, uh, lived all over, came west, and then, um, yeah, just ended up uh, on the west side. I lived in the valley for eight months, and then, uh, yeah. So. It's hot as balls but, uh, in the valley. That's all I know. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite Entourage episodes is one day in the valley when it's like 110 like degrees and that. And, I, and all brutal. I knew was, yeah, I never needed to go there. But. It's, I'm going to let you go, dude. I know you got shit to do, but I just appreciate you hopping on for an hour, man. And, you know, I need you to have a good day and just know that, like, what you're doing is helping a lot more people. And it definitely helped me. I know a lot of people don't get a chance to say thank you for things. So I wanted to at least, you know, more genuine than, like, a text message or a message on Instagram. Like, hey, thanks again, man. Like, I needed to, like, look you in the eye and say thank you, you know. I really appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Proud of you. I'm grateful that we're both still on the path. and. yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when it's up on, it'll go on Patreon first, you know, and then it'll okay. rolls out on, on YouTube and Spotify and shit weekly. But yeah, cool, I'll, um, I'll be definitely hitting you up when that's up. And again, man, have a good day and I appreciate it. Thanks brother. Be right, well. I'll talk you, to you soon. All right. Okay. Sounds good, buddy. See ya. Later.